We're uh, in this series called Ghost Hunters, which is a reference back to an old term that we had for the Holy Spirit called the Holy Ghost. Some of you may remember that. Some of you may even still use that, and that's fine. I think I mentioned last week I had a professor who thought we should eliminate that from our vocabulary, and I thought, well, that's kind of silly because I think that it's part of the church and it's part of who we are. And let's just be honest, ghost is easier to say than spirit, okay? It's got less syllables. So uh, we're, we're trying to find within the scriptures the place, places where we, we can learn more about the Holy Spirit. And, and there's a part of me, I wonder if we sometimes ignore the Holy Spirit, because he seems so mysterious or mystical to us. And let's be honest, there are certain um, theological traditions, church traditions that kind of take it to an extreme. And sometimes we look at the way they behave and we kind of wonder, I'm like, is that really what God had in mind? And, And that's okay because they're brothers and sisters and they're going to heaven too. They just choose to express things a little bit differently than than we do, but that doesn't absolve us from the responsibility of actually looking into the text and trying to understand who the Holy Spirit is and how he interacts with us. And the reason why we're, we're focused on this is because in 2019, we decided as a church that we were going to pursue the presence of God, to chase after the presence of God. And when we talk about that, both individually and collectively, the presence of God is is the Holy Spirit. I mean, that's really who we're interacting with when we're chasing after that presence and we experience God on that level. It's, it's his spirit. And Jesus talked about this, and we, we covered this last week, but here's a quick recap. Jason, I'm not. There we go. <clears throat> this is uh, John chapter 14, just before Jesus is arrested and crucified. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And remember, orphans is a big deal because it's the most vulnerable of society in that day and age. Still is, by the way. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. And I am so glad of that because I am very forgetful. I am glad that the Spirit comes in and steps in. And there are some times where I'm talking to someone and something will just click and it's like, okay, I'm going to trust that that's the Holy Spirit talking and, and, uh, and, and share whatever these things are on my heart. You know, what's interesting is the Greek term here is parakletos. It means attorney. It is not a colorful little bird. So maybe you'll get that later. That's okay. Parakletos. Yeah, there we go. (laughs) And there it is, yeah. It's a legal term, advocate, or someone who pleads a case, which is obviously very important for an orphan because they can't do it themselves. And so Jesus says, I'm going to come to you. But then he's going to send a spirit. And this is where we get into the idea of the Trinity, where we have three and one. And yes, it's mysterious and strange and wonderful all at the same time. And as we follow Jesus and we keep his teachings, we have the spirit of truth within us. Now, Jesus mentions the counselor, the advocate, the helper one other time. And I think this is important. We're going to pick this up today. It's in the very next chapter, John chapter 15. 
When the Advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. Now this is interesting, I think. It it would seem that we might testify as the Spirit testifies. Kind of at his prompting. And, And here's the thing that I've noticed. Maybe you have too. If I'm in the process of talking with someone, um, and for me, I don't know, it's pretty easy for things to turn to spiritual um, subject matter, largely because, well, people figure out what I do and they want to tell me stuff. <clears throat> and um, so it's, it's, not, it's not hard for me to do that. And yet, if I try to go on my own and force spiritual conversations with people, it feels like a sales job. Can I just be honest about that? And so I, 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 I hesitate now, the older I get, the more that I learn and the more conversations I have with people, um, to not try to force things in spiritual directions because I know that the Holy Spirit's gonna prompt that when it comes up. Is this making sense? I mean, I, I know how in the, in the 80s and 90s we used to do evangelism and, and I, I, it makes me uncomfortable. It just makes me uncomfortable to do evangelism that way because it feels forced. It feels like a sales job. And I suspect largely because a lot of it has to do with the fact that it's not spirit-prompted. I find that for me, I have to have a relationship with somebody in order to be spiritually prompted to talk to them about spiritual things. Now, you may have a different experience, and that's okay. But for me, I just, I got to be in relationship with someone. And I think that's an important piece of, of evangelism. But when we're, evan- when we're doing evangelism, we're essentially testifying to what God has done in our own lives. And I don't want it to be a sales job. I think, I think Jesus is more important than selling. Can I just say that? I mean, we're talking about eternal consequences, but then we're also talking about daily living. And I think that it's so important that I dare not make it something less and to try to sell it. That's just me. Fortunately, we have this example of the Spirit prompting things. So right after the resurrections, the disciples are gathered in Jerusalem. And they're unsure of what's next. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit crashes the party. It's in Acts chapter 2. Here it is. When the day of Pentecost came, they, meaning the disciples, were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were, look at this, filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled them. This is fascinating. Because look at what what happens next. Now, there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, this rushing wind, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Which, by the way, in that day and age, Galileans was the equivalent of redneck. 
Seriously. I mean, we're talking backwater, uneducated, kind of hick sort of connotations to that word, right? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? This is unusual, right? We hear them, look what it says, declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Now, notice they are declaring the wonders of God. That sounds like testimony to me, doesn't it? Back in the day when we had different style of church, we used to have testimony nights. And people would get up with a microphone and they would testify to what God had done in their life. And it was the wonders of God, how God is actually working. That is testimony. And so we have this example of a spirit-prompted, uh, a spirit-inspired testimony declaring the wonders of God. By the way, there's a Greek word that's used here. Let me have the up on the martyrio. It's where we get the word martyr. It means to testify. Martyr has a different connotation today, doesn't it? But I think the point is, is that when we're talking about testimony, when we're testifying to what God has done, this is serious business. This is a big deal. Because remember, Jesus said, the Spirit will testify, and you must testify because you've been with me since the beginning. Right? He's telling this to his disciples that you must testify too. Because the Spirit may prompt you, but you have to do it. And that's why it's so good for us to tell the stories about what God's doing in our lives. For a number of reasons, but one of which it's kind of commanded. This idea of seriousness. Martyr. Another New Testament writer, a man named Paul, also picks up on this word testify. I want to show this to you because this is interesting. Next slide. Paul is writing to a group of Christians in Rome. Now, he has not met these Christians yet, but he's headed there. And probably has considered his magnum opus of letters. It's the book of Romans. We find it in our New Testament. Here's what he says in chapter 8. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit, Holy Spirit again, You put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you will live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. Remember? No more orphans. Remember that? Uh, Sonship. I just lost it. Oh, yeah. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, in the Wesleyan tradition, which we are, this is where we get, in part, where we get the doctrine of assurance. That we are assured of our salvation because the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit. I have chosen to follow Jesus, therefore I know in my heart that I, uh, I am a child of God, and the Spirit himself testifies with my spirit that I am a child of God. I can have assurance. Now, what I like about this is it requires me to have a relationship. 
It's not just kind of this legal thing that happens like, oh, yep, you're saved, you know, one and done sort of thing. Mm, No, if I want to be assured of my salvation, I have to stay in relationship with God because I want the Spirit testifying with my spirit that I am a child of God. So keep that in mind. But the Spirit is testifying again. It's, It's the same word, same root word, martyrio. And that word, in this case, means to cooperate. It is joint witness. I believe this to be true about me, and the Spirit assures me of that. Does this make sense? So let's try to break this down visually. This is helpful for me, and um, hopefully it is for you. The, The advocate, the helper, the counselor, parakletos, testifies, martyrio, testifies to Jesus' work, to the work that Jesus is doing, the wonders of God, the things that he's done in your life, that the Spirit testifies to these things. But also, he testifies to our position as sons and daughters of the living God. Does this make sense? That's what the Holy Spirit does. He testifies to those things. And so, really, um, he, he prompts us. Uh, let, me, let me back up. This, this idea of the work of Jesus, I think this is really important because I think sometimes he, he works through signs and wonders. And wouldn't we like to see a little bit more of that? I think so. Um, but he also prompts us to declare what he's done, which may be miraculous, it may not be. The point is, is that the Spirit prompts those things. And then we're not orphans anymore. We're not slaves. We're sons and daughters. So he, he testifies to our position. Now, I want, one of the things I want to do here, and I think this is really important for us to, to kind of end on, is, is to think about this a little, a little more deeply. Because you know what? I just shared with you some great Greek words. It's really cool, right? You can amaze your friends because you learned some Greek. But there's this part of me that says, so what? <sighs> okay, he's testifying. Great. And I know what the Greek word is whatever. But I want to suggest to you why we chase after the presence of God. Why we choose to try to interact with the Holy Spirit. Because I think it's not just the what, it's the so what that's important. And it seems that the Spirit helps us to see where Jesus is working. Because sometimes I miss it. How about you? I think sometimes the Spirit enters and pokes and prods and says, hey, 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 you know, that's me. I'm doing that. I think one of the greatest gifts that I've ever given to another person is when I've helped them see where God is working. I have a friend of mine, he's not a Christian, not that I'm aware of. And one day he was describing something that had happened to him and I just just pointed out, I'm like, hey, you know what, that kind of sounds like God. And he was just shocked. He goes, wait, what? I said, yeah. I said, that, that's, I'm just telling you from my perspective, that sounds like something God would do. So God might have his hand in this. And he just plant that little seed, and a couple weeks later he comes back, he goes, maybe that was God. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, right? 
But I think sometimes the Spirit, when we interact with Him, when we chase after His presence and we're in His presence, we get to see places where God is working that we don't necessarily see with our own eyes. And not just in other people, but also in ourselves. You know, it's, it's a joy when somebody says, you know, I had this thing happen the other day and I really feel like God's talking to me. Yeah, that's awesome. Because you're engaged with the Holy Spirit. But I also think that he, he, he prompts us to talk about Jesus at times, to testify. And here's the upshot. If you, if, you, if you buy that, if you believe that, then the pressure is off of you. The pressure is not on you to say the right words. Have you ever had that moment when you're talking to someone and it turns to spiritual things? You're like, oh my gosh, maybe I could say the wrong thing. I don't want to screw this up, Right? The pressure is off you because it's the spirits who are prompting you and he will teach you and remind you of the things that you need. So the pressure is off. It's not a sales thing. And if the Holy Spirit's at working, then I wouldn't worry too much about the words you use because he's going to use those words. And here's the other thing that I, I keep thinking about. Is when, we, when we're prompted to testify to what God has done in our lives, it encourages people. And I think that is huge. I need to know that the God of the universe is working in your life because if he's working in your life, there is hope for my life. Right? If you've been through the junk, the stuff, all your foolishness, whatever it happens to be, then there, maybe there's a place for me and my nonsense. And maybe God can, can use that and he can work and he can change and he can shape and mold me. And I believe with all my heart, that when we're in the presence of the Spirit, when we're in the presence of God, it allows us and empowers us to live our best lives. Remember that passage in Romans 8 that we just read, by the Spirit we put to death the misdeeds of the body. You can't do it on your own. Because if you could do it on your own, you already would have. And this is the reason why every 12-step program of any value says, in step number one, you have to surrender to a higher power. Now, you can choose what that higher power is and what you choose to name it. That's, that's between you and that higher power, as far as I'm concerned. But the bottom line is that there has to be something else to empower us to do it because we can't do it on our own because it's a fallen and broken world and nobody gets out unscathed. And so by the Spirit, we put the deeds of the body to death. But I have to say that you have to be in the presence of, of God to experience that. And I really think that's where it begins to happen, where we begin to shape and mold. And this is not a mystical sort of thing. But it really is this moment when you're connected to God. And, and I'm going to give you one more. Here's a freebie for today. If you feel like you're in the presence of God and you feel like you've got this laundry list of junk you need to deal with. That is not from God. And if you're feeling condemned because you, you've done it or are doing it or planning on doing it, that's not from God. In my experience, every single time I have dealt with my own junk, it's because God has stepped right alongside me and has said very clearly, oh, David, I've got something so much better for you. Don't waste your time on that. Here's what it is.
Earlier in Romans chapter 8, it says there's no condemnation in Christ. If you're feeling condemned, that's not from God. Convicted is something else entirely. You can feel convicted and not feel condemned. And then I think finally that when we're in the presence of God, it reminds us of who we really are. I have a news feed on my phone. And uh, for whatever reason, um, sometimes when I wake up in the morning, I just flip through the news feed to see if there's anything interesting that happened overnight. <laughs> and I don't know why this is. But for whatever reason, my Apple News feed feels like um, it needs to recommend a bunch of stories about the Kardashians. I don't know why. I don't click on those. I have no idea why it's recommended to me. Anyway. And it seems like whenever I see those news feeds and it's about, um, you know, there's a lot of self-help stuff and there's a lot of celebrities and the gossip and the things that are going on and whatnot. And the message is very clear. You're not them. You're not good enough. You're not smart enough. You're not strong enough. You're not pretty enough. You're not whatever it is. And the Spirit enters the picture and says, no, you don't have to be. You're a son and daughter of the living God. Brothers and sisters, there is power in that. And I don't mean power like the world has power where I get to win and you get to lose. It's a completely different kind of power that says, no, I'm a child of God and you can be too. I'm still convinced that Jesus is more interested in bringing heaven to earth rather than getting all of us into heaven. And that starts with understanding who I am child of the king because there is no kingdom without a king and so when we spend time in the presence of God we're sitting in the throne room and we're spending time with the king and we all have that opportunity to do that and that's good news isn't it that's good news Jesus came into Galilee preaching the good news of the kingdom of God. And so my encouragement to all of you is to chase after the presence of God and to begin to see that he's going to prompt you for certain things. It might be scary at first, but it's okay. It's okay. He's got you. And it might be scary because you've got to deal with some of your own junk. That's scary. Or maybe you've got to Talk to someone else. That's scary too. But if he's prompting you, there's a reason for it. And you're still a child of the king. You're still a child of the king. I don't know where you are today. I don't know the kinds of things that you're wrestling with or dealing with. I know in our house, we're celebrating an awful lot. And um, you may be going through celebration. You may be going through something particularly difficult. You might be doing both at once because that's how real life works, right? You might be dealing with that. Pastor James and I are going to be over here on the side like we are every week. We'd love to just pray with you. No pressure. No pressure. But maybe it's just simple as uh, we want to remind you that you're a child of the King. 
And uh, we don't necessarily know what that means for you, uh, but we would love to help you figure it out. Because that's just how we roll. We want that for people.